0: Dr. William Lang Craig has a new book out called In Quest of the Historical Adam, and it's a train wreck. It's creating confusion about the Bible, really without acknowledging any of the real arguments presented by mainstream biblical creationists. In fact, his new book argues that Adam and Eve were mytho history, kind of like folklore, and that they could have evolved bringing evolution into his new view. It's a new idea that's attempting to combine a little bit of evolution, all of old earth interpretation of science and some other stuff that he's made up along the way.
1: The sooner the Christian community gets rid of young earth creationism, the better.
0: He tries to claim I'm going to set science aside and all I'm going to do is look at scripture.
2: If you're not bringing an extra biblical idea into that, what is fantastic about the elements in Genesis 1 through 11 that there's certain things that are taking place that are miraculous or that are supernatural?
1: My greatest fear is that the young earth creationist might be right This isn't a new idea for him in terms of
2: accepting a lot of the um, a lot of the old Earth mentality. He's held that for a long time.
1: Welcome to the Creation Today Show
0: where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching, your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Welcome to The Creation Today Show, guys. My name is Eric Hovind. What is the truth about Adam, as in the first man created by God in Genesis? Was was he historical? Was he a myth? Is he a little bit of each? Now, just so you know, we're living at a time where scientific advancements have destroyed, obliterated, any hope of Darwinian evolution being true. In geology, we're realizing that the layers of the Earth that form the Earth's crust can only be scientifically explained by a worldwide flood. Eons of time does not get us these layers. In biology, we're realizing that extremely complex life uh, is impossible with the evolution worldview. Large scale evolution is not attainable with the, uh, the time and chance that they're trying to give it, mutations and natural selection. As a matter of fact, every field of science from uh, anthropology to paleontology to astronomy is revealing that the biblical view of creation is accurate and it's consistent with all the science that we actually see today. Yet now, with so many advancements, Some in the church are merging the Bible with this doomed theory of evolution. If you're new to the Creation Today show, my name is Eric Hovind. We are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time. Our goal is to turn the stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and redeemer into stepping stones on their journey to know the truth. If you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube or on our podcast or television show, Thank you for peeking into the Creation Today community for this conversation. We're just a group of people being discipled through weekly conversations so that we can be all that God has called us to be. If you ever want to join our community, come on over to creationtoday.org and hang out with us. Hey, to my creation today partners, John and James and, and Gary and Cheryl, thank you guys for hanging out with us and everybody else who's on here. I want to welcome our new partners. Uh, so to the new partners, Carol and Dana and Lynn and Terry and Micah and Thomas and uh, Linder, that's a cool name, Linder, uh, Steve and Pete and Marty and James and Marcus and Carol and Deborah and Priscilla Thank you guys for partnering with Creation Today. Uh, we really do consider it a privilege to work with all of you, all of our partners, to take the gospel literally around the world. I need to give you guys an update at some point here pretty soon on just what God has done over this past uh, six months with Creation Today. And I'm really excited about what God is doing, where we're getting to go, what we're getting to do. It's uh, it's it's fun uh, and very, very enjoyable. So thank you guys. If you guys have questions, I see your chat, Gary. Um, Oh, uh, nice. Like, Gary is bald. He said, I'm bald and told him I like his hairdo. That's too funny. Tim, my guest today, is uh, is also bald. As a matter of fact, my guest today for the conversation about the historical Adam is author of numerous books, including Fallen at the Sons of God and the Nephilim, uh In Defense of East, Easter, uh answering critical challenge to the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Old Earth Creationism on Trial. He's the content manager of the world-famous Creation Museum and the world-famous Ark Encounter. He is one of our favorite guests on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my friend, Dr. Tim Chafee. Dr. Chafee, welcome to the Creation Today Show, bud.
2: Hey, Eric, how you doing?
0: Blessed beyond measure, and I'm so glad I get to hang out with you for this next hour. This is going to be good.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny that somebody else made fun of my baldness today. I had to remind my, the people I work with, there are a lot of younger people, you know, I, I they, somebody made a joke about me being bald today. I, at the end of our meeting, I said, let me just read from Second Kings 2. Here's this passage where there are a bunch of young people making fun of this man of God who's bald. And <laughs> a couple of bears came out and mauled a bunch of the youth. So I just, oh. let me remind you that as we get started here. And
0: the atheists love to use that one to say God is not a good God. It kind of yeah.
2: But we could get into that one. It's it's not a bunch of little kids. This is more like a, a gang of people who are threatening his life because his, Elijah just went to you know disappeared. He was taken by God, and they wanted Elisha to do the same and get out of there. So they were threatening. But anyways,
0: yeah. I, lo- I see. We're I love that. Talk- I'm telling you. You asked him any question about the Bible. He's probably got the passage memorized. Knows the answer. I'm I'm blown away. And by the way. Congratulations! This is my first time to have you on the show as Dr. Tim Chafee. Oh my goodness, hey, this is really thanks. cool, man. Yeah, it still sounds
2: weird. It, it still sounds really weird. Um, yeah, I'll let you call me Tim most of the time, but if you start getting on my nerves, then you got to call me Doctor.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute! <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks for not being one of those that uh, tells everybody that they have to do that, and is just like, "Yeah, you got it. You have, you know, it's, it's." I'm, I'm just, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for. Uh, how much work it took to get this, and then just, again, being able to continue to use the platform that God has given you to proclaim the truths of the world. So I love your heart behind everything you do.
2: Thanks. Well, I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to do that and to do all the other things that I get to do. I'm living the dream. Really, I am.
0: (laughs) No doubt. I feel the same way. I'm like, man, we are just, we are incredibly, incredibly blessed. Um, Hey, Tim, you wrote a review of of William Lane Craig's new book in quest for the historical, for a historical Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to examine what his beliefs are. I was shocked to hear some of the things that he said. I spent the last couple of days getting clips of William Lane Craig saying certain things uh, like communicating his beliefs. So you're not just taking my word for it. Here's exactly what he says. So I'd love to review some of those, but introduce us to uh, to what Dr. William Lane Craig believes Uh, And what he's trying to present in his new book, uh, in In Quest for the Historical
2: Adam. So here's what it looks like. This is In Quest of the Historical Adam. Uh, Came out what is about a year and a half ago now already, and uh, made some waves. Although I don't think it sold as well as he had hoped. Uh, Well, who does sell as many books as they hope? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it didn't. I don't think it really landed quite as big as he hoped. But it's still uh, somebody like him, Dr. Craig, is a very intelligent man. He's very well regarded by a lot of, of Christians, a lot of evangelicals. Uh, he's got two uh, two doctorates. Uh, he's a, a very intelligent guy. He's done a lot of debates with skeptics and atheists and others, and uh, done some great work on the resurrection and some other areas as well. Uh, one concern I've always had with him uh, for years, for decades, um, he has always bought into the, the big bang in billions of years. And I remember trying to listen to I think it was he used to post his Sunday school class teachings on. I think that's what it was, uh, back when podcasts were just kind of becoming a thing. And I remember trying to listen to his Gospel of John lessons, and it's like he couldn't get through five sentences without talking about the big bang. And I thought, what does this have to do with John? And it just like he continually pushed it. So this isn't a new idea for him in terms of accepting a lot of the, um, a lot of the old earth. Mentality. He's held that for a long time, um, so I'm I'm not surprised to see him go the route that he has with this book. Essentially, what this book is doing um, is trying to say that Adam was a real person, but not the one you read about in the Bible. It's it's absurd from his point of view. It's it's absurd that he could have been just six thousand years ago, because science, quote unquote, science has proven you know that humanity goes back hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of years. And we come from ape-like ancestors, and all. So he's bought into the entire evolutionary scenario, and he says that Adam, you know, this first representative of humanity who makes this first moral choice uh, that that would be considered morally wrong was what 750,000 years ago. What we call Heidelberg Man or Homo uh, Heidelbergensis, and so that's that's kind of the gist of his book. And then he. Sets out to try to demonstrate that. Now, I think one of the good things he does in the book is he critiques a lot of the other old earth views because he's saying, no, this isn't the right way to um, harmonize the Bible with science. You got to do it this way and essentially more of a theistic evolutionary view. So he's critiquing people, although he's using them at times too, quoting them, like Dr. Hugh Ross, uh, that you've chatted with several times, a progressive creationist, and he's critiquing some of those other views. Uh, but then he brings up his own that has even more severe problems, I think.
0: So I put together a little chart. I'm not sure exactly how accurate I am with the people, but I we, uh, Amanda and I threw this together this morning real quick, just to help people understand what are the different views. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Ken. He threw them up there. Here's, here's the different uh, views on the age of the earth and, and kind of who believed these different things. So I got atheistic evolution, uh, and then I got theistic evolution, and that's the one that William Lane Craig would hold, so I got him there. Then you got more of a progressive creation, maybe the days were long periods of time or somehow there was time in there. Uh, then you got the, uh, the the day age theory view, uh, that he, and then you got the gap theory view, and then you got kind of the historical position of the church, young earth creation. So um, just trying to give people a visual for what are the different views that are out there and where does William Lane Craig fall? And he would be in the theistic evolution uh, view on that uh on that spectrum of what are the different uh ideas for the does the old earth fit into the bible that's is that a good way of putting that
2: um, i think it's a good way of putting that now i would just for the sake of classification i would probably put progressive creation and day age theory as the Kind of the same thing. Progressive creation, kind of like a revised view of the day age, where you the day day the, age. Yeah, or yeah. long periods of time. Uh, There's another view. Other there's several other views that have come about in the last few decades. Well, Actually, framework hypothesis is almost 100 years ago, but where they kind of just reclassified the genre of Genesis one, so it's not really telling us about the, the creation of the world at all. It's just it's just telling us God made everything, and man's made in His image, and um, you you can kind of hold whatever you want to regarding how he did those things and and what he was doing during that time. Uh, So that's like the framework hypothesis. There's other ones um, like John Walton's, uh, The Lost World of Genesis, that sort of idea. So you've got a bunch of these views in the last couple of decades that are trying to distance themselves from the text altogether, just saying, it doesn't really matter what Genesis 1 through 11 said because it was never really intended to be taken straightforward. And that William Lane Craig does that a lot. In fact, he has an entire chapter where he is going through the, the major events and uh, in Genesis 1 through 11. And I don't know any other way to put this, mocking them, uh, saying that they're obviously fantastic. They That's the word he used over and over again, that anybody at that time would have known, you're not supposed to take this in a very straightforward way, uh, because it obviously it's just using this language of myths. So you, you can't believe these things were literal and nobody would do that, other than the fact a whole bunch of biblical writers do. And well,
0: let's let, let me stop there. I got two people clips, people. two okay. clips of that, Kent. If you can queue up uh, clip number sixteen and clip number seventeen, where it's William Lane Craig himself saying that young Earth creationism is, it, creationism is actually an embarrassment, and and he would even say, I'll let you hear it. He would even say, I think it's part of one of these clips, that uh, that the church needs to get rid of young Earth creationism. So, Kent, if you got sixteen and then seventeen. Uh, Robert asks, I understand most agree that the universe is 13 or so billion years old. There is another argument that the earth is 6,000 years old. Can those two timelines be
1: reconciled? All right, we're about out of time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am going to just say frankly, no. I, no. And I <laughs> think that the sooner the Christian community gets rid of young earth creationism, the better. This is... Uh, an embarrassment for the Christian faith that is creating enormous obstacles to Christian belief among scientifically educated people. The, the universe uh, is not, and the earth is not, 6,000 years old, uh, and there's no reason biblically to think that it is, uh, and therefore we, we need to really shed ourselves of this as a Christian community. Uh, my, my greatest fear is that the young earth creationist might be right. The idea that the young earth creationist might be right in his interpretation is so unthinkable that these exegetes do backflips to come up with interpretations of the text that would be compatible with science. And I think that's quite illegitimate. So
0: here you have him admitting that he would not want this to be true uh, let's go through that, because in his book, he tries to claim, I'm going to set science aside, and all I'm going to do is look at Scripture. Um, is, there's no reason, he says, just from Scripture to conclude a 6,000-year-old earth. Tim, softballs up. Knock it out of the park.
2: Well, going back to what we just talked about, that he calls these ele- these things in Genesis 1-11, through he calls them fantastic elements, and then he says, if they were taken literally, they are so extraordinary as to be palpably false. Um, why? Because if you're taking the Bible from a biblical perspective, you have God who creates everything miraculously. He interacts miraculously with his creation. Uh, he speaks to Noah and tells them there's going to be a worldwide flood. So build this ark, He's going to send the animals. The text says he did that. And uh, throughout Scripture, you see God performing miracles and interacting when He chooses to. So what is if you're not bringing an extra biblical idea into that, what is fantastic about the elements in Genesis 1 through 11, that there's certain things that are taking place that are miraculous or that are supernatural? Um, nothing. And yet, because he is starting from a worldview, essentially, that says God created everything but he used evolution to do it therefore i'm going to just look for naturalistic processes and the way things are right now is the way they must have always been other than god just stepping in when he needs to because he's not denying all miracles he doesn't deny the resurrection obviously um so but he does deny some, for some reason, what's going on in Genesis 1 through 11. You know, he mocks the idea that there was a serpent that spoke, but does he mock the idea that Balaam's donkey spoke? Uh, Because that's the same author. Moses tells us about both of those, and one of them is taking place in Moses' time. Um, was, Was he saying that this was ridiculous? We're not supposed to take this, or is it that something supernatural is happening, like the text tells us? And that's exactly what it tells us. So he's not starting from the text, because if you do, then you have you start with the worldview that God intervenes with His creation, and that there are other supernatural entities like like Satan who also
0: interacts or intervenes and does things like you see in Genesis three with the serpent. So how about this argument? He says, "Well, you you don't look at Revelation and think that there's going to be a dragon whose tail literally grabs a third of the stars, so that's figurative, and it's the same in Genesis, that's figurative." And he actually says that. All of Genesis one through eleven is so different than chapters twelve through fifty of Genesis. And he goes even further and says that uh, Kent, if you want to cue it up, I think I've got a clip here uh, that that no church fathers were younger. That's uh, clip number five, Kent. No, none of the church fathers and and also no Old Testament scholar believes Genesis one through eleven is the same as twelve on Kent. If you can do clip five
1: and then clip three. When he says, if you'd never heard of evolution, you would never think of such a thing about the Genesis text. That's demonstrably wrong, because the church fathers, Oregon and Augustine, had never heard of biological evolution or Darwin, and yet they advocated a figurative reading of the text, uh, much as I do. From the call of Abraham in chapter 12 on, you have straightforward historical narrative. But Genesis okay. 1-11 to is acknowledged by every New Testament commentator to be a, a part from the rest of Genesis, to be a special sort of narrative and a peculiar genre of literature. You said new, but I assume you meant old, just for clarification. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean new. So the church fathers and all Old Testament
0: scholars today, all of them agree that Genesis 1-11 is its own separate thing, and they interpreted this figurative
2: no that, that's just patently false um now i'm not going to argue that every single um church father was a young earth creationist but you do have statements from several of them talking about how god made everything in six days and those days correspond to thousand year periods he's not saying that they are each a thousand years he's saying that there's going to be six thousand years of history before jesus returns for the 7, year years would be like a millennium um and we're not there yet, meaning that the world would be less than 6,000 years old at the time they're writing those things. So several church fathers believe that. Augustine came right out and said that Adam, it hasn't been 6,000 years since Adam was created. So how can you say every single church father taught that? And it's certainly not true today that every single Old Testament scholar or commentator says that the Genesis 1 through 11 is written in a different genre than 12 onward that that's also patently false uh, Stephen Boyd's a Hebraist and he says that there that he shows the same thing Todd Beale's got a chapter in Terry Mortenson's book coming to grips with Genesis where he points out that chapter 12 begins with uh what's known uh, it, it's basically in God said to Abram so it's a it's a it's continuing from what was going on before so if this is a new thing And it's finally just starting to be real history. Why does it connect to the previous line? And why is Abram and Sarah and Lot, why are they mentioned in Genesis 11 if this is not real history? But then we also see them in chapter 12, and they're connected to the people before them going back to Noah. You have the same sort of, um, if we can say like subheadings or headers, in the book of Genesis 10, it appears 11 times twice in the Esau account. So like 10 different ones, where it says, this is the book of the generations of so-and-so. Those are known, known as the Toledotes. You have uh, six of those in Genesis 1 through 11 and four five counting the double of Esau um, in the rest of the chapter, in the rest of the chapters. So obviously, whoever writing this, Moses, is showing you they're the same style. In fact, we know they're the same style. They're written as historical narrative. Now, there are a lot of scholars who have bought into the millions of years who argue that you need to come up with a different hermeneutic, a different way of interpreting Genesis 1 through 11, but the genre is exactly the same. And so there's no no reason from the text itself to apply a different hermeneutic. Certainly the New Testament authors don't. Certainly Moses doesn't when he refers back to those chapters. Uh, So in Deuteronomy 32, when he talks about how uh, remember when God separated the nations and he He divided them. He's talking about Babel. He's talking about that as a real event. And he's telling the people to ask their fathers and they'll tell you when this happened. But Craig says, Oh, this is just myth. And yet Moses is telling the people in Deuteronomy 32 to ask about that because it's a real event. And, and you see Jesus talking about these people and events as real people and events. Um, of course, he tried to address that in his book and I think fails miserably.
0: Now let's let's address that. Okay, so in his book, he's trying to say I'm I'm trying to critique all the views. I'm trying to look at everything, and yet uh, I read a a document, a, a review, a rebuttal of his book that you wrote. Actually, I want to make that available to everybody um, if you're cool with that. Um, I want to I want to, in that rebuttal you you pointed out that he really doesn't deal with any of the biblical creationist claims. He actually. He actually ignores it almost as though it's beneath him to even talk about it. Can you address that?
2: Yeah, and I think you saw, I can. I think you saw a little bit of that in the first two clips we saw when he was asked about young earth creation. You can tell he doesn't want to. You can tell he is irritated by the fact that he wants us to, he doesn't want young earth creationism to exist in the church. I've got news for him. He's going to be really disappointed throughout eternity when, when, at least for the first (laughs) 10, 15, 20,000 years that we're with the Lord, it's still a young earth, right? Um, now at some point it will become an old earth, like when we've been there for millions of years. But I think going can be frustrated for a while during during that time. Uh, actually, I actually don't think he will be. I think he'll be rejoicing like the rest of us, but probably going, Why did I why did I find <laughs> Why did nonsense? I say all
1: that? I should that? Have
2: just trust what God's word says. Um, yeah, sorry. But here's here's what's interesting to me. If I were to write a paper. Uh, Let's put it this way. Let's say I was supposed to critique this book and I never cited this book in the entire thing. Do you think I would get a passing grade? No, that's Uh, not academic. If I just summarized four times out of 400 and over 400 pages and made four little statements summarizing something that he allegedly said and immediately said this is a wild theory or this maverick view, And that's all I ever said about this book, would I get a passing grade?
0: I think ChatGPT could do better for you than that.
2: Do you realize that's what he did with young earth creationism? He never, as far as I could find, and when I looked through the bibliography and everything as well, he never quoted a young earth creationist. He did allude to four different writings from three different young earth creationists. And immediately after citing them, he says something like this: maverick view, or this wild theory, or this radical theory, something like that. Uh, never actually dealing with the text, never dealing with you know the way that we would present it. And whether uh, from scholars, uh, I'm not saying that every young earth creationist is a scholar, but there are scholars who are young earth creationists who have written on this topic. Um, I held up this book before, Coming to grips with Genesis, Doctor Terry Mortenson, uh, that who William Lane Craig knows personally. Okay, they've known each other for decades. He did the book years ago to show people that Genesis should be taken in a straightforward manner. Terry Morton. and by the way, it's not just Terry Morton. there are a bunch of scholars who contributed to this, and he did the same thing several years ago called Searching for Adam. That's a relevant topic, isn't it? Well, guess what yes. book never shows up in here and is never addressed. None of the arguments are dealt with. He doesn't touch the arguments presented by young creationists. Therefore, I know there there was a video a while back when this came out where Ken Ham called said that he's kind of he's acting as a pseudo intellectual and, and William Lane Craig took a lot of a, you could tell that really bothered him because he is an intellectual guy he's a very smart guy um, and, and that bothered him but when he did he is behaving in a way that is like a pseudo intellectual he is doing something a lot of that a lot of people do not just not just secularists not a, lot of, a lot of Christians are guilty of this. When they're trying to push their view and they don't have strong arguments for it, they will snowball you with all sorts of other things. And they're not showing you what the text says. They're not doing a careful look at the text. They're doing everything they can to avoid that. In fact, they're kind of obfuscating the truth. They're hiding the truth behind all of the, the stuff they're throwing out there. And so it's something for for you to be aware of. There are a lot of Christians who argue that way too. And it's just, really, it's a lot of empty rhetoric. You got to learn to pick through all that and say, okay, but what does the Bible say? And he's not really telling us because he mocks it in Genesis 1 through 11.
0: Kent, if you can queue up clip number seven. uh, And right after this, I got a question about what would William Lane Craig do as the Apostle Paul in a certain situation. So we'll
1: show clip seven and then I'll ask this. My my greatest fear is that the young earth creationist might be right in his hermeneutical claim that Genesis does teach those things that I described earlier. And I say that would be a nightmare because if that's what the Bible teaches, it puts the Bible into massive, I think, irredeemable conflict with modern science, history, and linguistics, and I don't want that to happen. So, yes, yes, it's true. I I don't want young earth creationist uh, (laughs) interpretation to be right, but nevertheless, I really do in the book struggle to be as objective as I can in saying what did these narratives mean to their original audience when they were written and read. I got a question for you. How do you think, and
0: I'd love to ask him this, if he was the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill, and he was going to go declare the unknown God, does he take all of these God's beliefs and say, actually, and reinterpret their beliefs into the biblical creation account? Or does he say, no, this stands in contrast? Because Paul, it seems like he stood in contrast to what the... I mean, this is what they believed at the time. And Dr. Ross, or excuse me, Dr. Craig is going... Well, I have to accept what modern science is teaching. And it seems like he's making that categorical mistake of saying, this is what the experts say is true. So I have to take that as true. I don't want to stand against the experts. And I'm like, if he was standing at Mars Hill, what would he then say? What would a, a sermon look like as they were believing in all kinds of gods that, that weren't the right gods?
2: It's hard to know exactly what he would do. But yeah, he. it seems like he would argue that you you should adopt a lot of those things and then still tell people about Jesus that he rose from the dead, which is the part that they mocked anyways, the part about the resurrection, even before Paul shared that that longer message on Marcel. And even at the end of that, that's when they stopped him. Um, So I don't think that he would have made much progress. And what Paul does there is he actually tells them about who the true God is. He doesn't actually quote scripture, but he tells you all about scripture and what God has done throughout history and tells you about the the one true God. so it, it it reminds me and I'm not saying he's doing this it's it's the same argument though that we see a lot of um, what they would call like LGBTQ affirming Christians doing you know the, the pastors are saying we should like full acceptance of of these individuals because society tells us that this is just the way they are and they can't change and this is the way that God made them so we should just accept that and reinterpret the Bible on these passages what he's doing is the same move I'm not saying he's doing it on that Subject, but it's the same move. It's here is what the majority are saying. Here is what our society is saying, and we can't reject that. Um, and, and it's 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 really tragic um, because of what he does with the text itself. When you have Jesus talking about Adam and Eve, uh, he says something to the effect that, well, he's not saying that they're historical people. He's just kind of introducing them as a way to talk about marriage and divorce and. No, he doesn't, he doesn't introduce it as a parable. He doesn't say there was a man or let me tell you a parable or it, the kingdom of heaven is like, he doesn't do that. He just tells you, he says, it is written. Have you not read? He's telling you, this is real history. This happened. So yeah, the way he is, he's not handling the text appropriately at all because he is looking for ways around what it says. And I think that's why he refuses to engage scholars who hold to the young earth view and and pretended that they don't exist.
0: Um,
2: But there are plenty of them.
0: I'm going to let him put his foot in his own mouth here in just a second with a couple clips that I've got. And uh, before I do that, though, YouTube and Facebook and our podcast and television audience, I need to let you guys go. Thank you for tuning in for the first half of this conversation. If you want to enjoy the rest of this, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us to help us change the world and disciple people one at a time to know God and to live their life for Him. That's what our goal is. So we'd love for you to come on over um, and, and join us for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always encouraged by these conversations because it helps me tune uh, my engine, so to speak, when it comes to theology and hermeneutics and how do we study the Bible and, and what is right and what is wrong. So uh, I hope this is a blessing to you. If it's been a blessing to you, why don't you share this with somebody else uh, and subscribe so that you can get updates about these shows that come out every Wednesday at noon would love to see you each Wednesday. We'll see you next week. Which, by the way, oh, by the way, before I let you guys go, you guys need to go to a hold of more Dr. Tim Chavey stuff. And I forgot I got to give you guys that PDF. So, uh, Tim, we're going to make your PDF available. Uh, the website is just, oh, that's if you want to get Tim's writings, go to answersingenesis.org and type in Tim Chavey or... Um, it's not midwest but what's what's the name of the
2: risenmen.com
0: that's it risenmen.com risenmen.com uh for tim chafee uh, if you want to get his pdf that he uh, that he just gave to me this morning on his response his rebuttal go to creationtoday.org slash wlc for william lang craig so creationtoday.org slash wlc we'll put that in the comments creationtoday.org slash wlc and you can download his uh his rebuttal of uh, William Lane Craig's book uh, in, in search for the histor- or in quest for the historical Adam. Okay, look forward to seeing you guys next Wednesday. Uh, if you want to join the rest of the conversation, come on over to creationtoday.org and join us.